Told you this was going to be a good episode. feels really good to be here right now last episode of the season oh yes and uh ending on quite a number too i fucking love screaming jay hawkins oh uh, man he's one of the weirdest artists ever dude his songs are amazing though and he goes all over the place yeah i've been listening to him forever and i mean mainly just because like everybody hears him and most of the most people would never even realize that like that's a like a whole musician that is his whole shtick yeah you know, because there's a one really one really popular track that he does that everybody will know about, and I'm not going to spoil it yet because yeah, we'll get, let, let me spoil that yeah, for we'll, everybody we'll, when we'll I get, get to it. We'll get there, but I, but mainly like he's <laughs> one of those artists where he, you're like, oh, I have no idea who that is when you say the name, and then like you play that one track for him, like, oh, I know who that is. Yeah, what? Yeah. Well, it, I saw that movie that at, it was in. At least everybody's <laughs> at least heard the cover of it. Yeah, exactly. And, and or multitudes of covers of it. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll get to that, too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, last episode of the season. I'm uh, I'm pretty stoked for next season. I got to say we're going to step forward in time. Just another little uh, another little shimmy and get to experience some stuff in the uh, upcoming decades. But uh, I think we're finishing out really solid here with uh Somebody who's later in the decade, but still. Now he's actually he actually gets to start right around mid decade. Yeah, yeah. So so at least it's not late late decade. So Buddy it's Holly like, was later in the decade than than Screaming Jay. Oh well, there we go. So that that uh that kind of clears up my already incorrect assumption. I hope that there's many more of those that are going to get cleared up this evening because. I have no idea anything about Screaming Jay Hawkins' backgrounds. Like, usually I have some basic nomenclature of the background of some of these people, but I happen to know this artist, but I can't say shit about him. I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of laughs along the way. This <laughs> is going to be a fun one, honestly. Well, let's just crack right into it. Give us a birth year, baby. All right, well. It's not a band, so I get an actual birth year, guys. <laughs> I don't feel right if we don't start with just like a, and he was born. All right, well, Jalacy Jay Hawkins was born in Cleveland, Ohio on July 18th, 1929. So is Jalacy his first name and Jay is a shortened version of it or is Jay his middle name? Jay is his middle name. Well, Jay, it's just the letter J. Oh, yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah. His whole middle name is an actual just letter. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, it's just J dot, you know. Yeah. But he was one of several children and the numbers vary according to Hawkins' own account. And this is probably because when he was 18 months old, he was placed in an orphanage. Oh, well, that makes sense. And he would be adopted by a Blackfoot Indian family, and he fondly remembers having a wonderful childhood. Hell yeah. So nothing nothing horrible. The adoption seemed to have worked out, you know? So. Yeah, so I mean, that's a better story than like he had bad parents and they were bad to him his whole childhood, and then he got away. At least it was, you know, like just right to the orphanage. And then write somebody who likes him. But that also shows with, you know, how creative and weird he ends up. Right. Well, 
There might be some explanations for that, too. He seemed like a pretty smart man. He managed to teach himself piano sometime while he was a toddler. Whoa. Yeah, and he could read sheet music by the age of six. By the age of 14, he could play the saxophone as well. That is like, I'd say that's like a borderline, like musical genius level. You know, that's that's a protege at least. Yeah, he was able to figure all this stuff out basically on his own. Yeah, you know? and I mean, anytime a toddler figures out something besides walking and not shitting yourself, you got to be impressed, dude. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> and as a boy, he'd even play piano in Cleveland night spots for tips. Oh, shit. Night spots, huh? So, yeah, getting getting started early. At least it wasn't a brothel. I can't remember <laughs> who that was, but working at a brothel in a young age. <laughs> also, at the age of 14, Screaming Jay began boxing, and he would even become a Golden Gloves amateur champion. Holy shit, I didn't know that. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, he was a legit, decent boxer. God, that would suck to not only be able to get your ass whipped by the guy, but also then he's, like, more awesome at music than you. (laughs) I don't know. It's just insult to injury, man. It's already bad enough to get beat up by a dude. Yeah, and the weird thing is, is he was skillful at pretty much everything he did, and he had a ton of interest, but his singular ambition laid in opera. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I uh, I mean, I guess that makes sense. He's got that super low vibrato and that, like... That, the super range. Yeah, and that crazy range. He can and, really belt it out, too. Yeah, that, is, that makes a lot of sense, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, he idolized singer Paul Robeson, or Robeson, R-O-B-E-S-O-N. Yeah, Robeson sounds like it. I don't know. And he really did want to sing just like him. And... Along with him winning his Golden Gloves title, he would also enroll in the Ohio Conservatory of Music to study opera. And this is all as a kid. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, so not only is he beating people's ass, but he's studying opera. (laughs) (laughs) He sounds like a fucking cool kid, man. I'm all about this kid already. Screaming Jay, I knew like I loved his music, but fuck, he's also like just a kick-ass person, it looks like. And to quote Screaming Jay Hawkins on his love of opera, he'd say, something I wanted to do but never did is sing opera. This goes back to my respect for Paul Robeson and Mario Lanza, but when I got into the music business, opera didn't get into the charts. They were just putting rhythm and blues out. And then he was like, I'm going to do rock and roll. And so in 1944, you know what he does? What? He lies about his age and joins the military. <laughs> oh, nice. 1944, you said. Yep. Oh, wow. That's a, He's also got balls, too. He's a, <laughs> he's a boxer who sings opera who also has a hell of a pair of balls, like volunteering for World War II and shit. Yeah. And the accounts of his service would differ. Like, most people accepted the version that he joined the special service and entertained the troops at home and in Germany, (laughs) Japan, and Korea, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, still serving his country. Yeah, that makes sense. But Hawkins' version was completely different. Oh, he tells it a whole different story, huh? (laughs) He'd tell the tale of his days as a paratrooper. A fact that is widely disputed (laughs) (laughs) and of being captured and held as a prisoner of war, a claim that is largely unsubstantiated. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're a bit of a fibber too then, huh? According to Hawkins, his liberation from the prison camp, he decimated one of his captors by taping a hand grenade into his mouth and pulling the pin. (laughs) 
This <laughs> sounds more uh, like a Rambo movie. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's starring Screaming Jay Hawkins. It's his music video. He got confused. And he's got a quote about this. <laughs> oh, my God. Please lay it on me. <laughs> he said, I got caught in the island of Saipan. Our drop zone was right in the middle of the enemy compound. Before we could get the straps of the parachute off, we were in the enemy's hands. We never got a chance to fire a shot. It was 18 months before we got rescued. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which which pretty much probably didn't happen. Instead, no. he was probably like comfortably singing for the troops and stuff. But I got to tell people I did something cooler than this. It was probably someone he met who ended up dying during the war and he just took his story. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I, was, I did that. That was great. Yeah. It's better than what I was doing. <laughs> he principal skinnered it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, there's nothing wrong with, like, you know, entertaining the troops. So if that's something you do, don't feel like we're laughing at you. We're laughing at the fact that you would feel the need to lie about it. And anybody who, like, pretends or, like, you know, goes to a war and doesn't do something super substantial and then for the rest of their life lies and tells people they were, like, you know, Rambo and shit, like, that shit is... That's something else. Yeah. I've seen it, that a couple times. That it's like, does sound like such a straight up Rambo story. Yeah. <laughs> he, he taped a grenade to a guy's mouth and pulled the pin. It also sounds like a story made up, not something that happened. You know what I mean? Right. And aside from entertaining the troops, Hawkins would still work as a boxer throughout the 40s, even winning the middleweight championship of Alaska in 1949. Middleweight championship of Alaska, huh? Yeah. Well, that's uh, at least there probably was a smaller amount of competition. I'm sure there's some badass dudes in Alaska, though. Yeah, there's some tough guys yeah, up in Alaska. I'm sure out of all the people or out, out of all the states, that probably makes one of the toughest fucking people. If he would have continued with this, he probably could have been a contender of some sort because it sounded like he was pretty damn good at boxing. He could have been swinging Jay Hopkins. That's a swing and a miss, Pat. <laughs> We need a little sound. Yes, you have failed. <laughs> and so in 1952, he'd leave the army, you know, a total badass, right? Of course, after his long, <laughs> his 18 months of captivity really uh, made him need to leave the army, obviously. <laughs> and he would take a job as a musician and chauffeur with jazz band leader Tiny Grimes. <laughs> Tiny Grimes. And according to Jerry Hershey's book, Nowhere to Run, Hawkins didn't much like the jazz music or Grimes' car in which he had to sleep most of the nights. <laughs> <laughs> but also being a musician in that band, you know, he'd get to sing every once in a while and he'd occasionally steal the show performing his wacky version of Ruth Brown's Mama, He Treats Your Daughter Mean. <laughs> you know, a song we mentioned in the Janice Martin episode. Oh, yes, I remember that. And so in 1953, he would accompany Grimes and his band for a recording session for Atlantic Records. Now, that label, you know, had scored hits with Ruth Brown, Big Joe Turner, Ray Charles. You know, was really aimed at, like, a mixture of, like, pop and rhythm and blues. Yeah. And so Grimes agreed to let Hawkins sing a couple of his own tunes if the main recording session went well. And Hawkins would get his chance. And he launched into a version of a tune he had written called Screamin' Blues. Now, I looked for this song, and I found a song called Screamin' the Blues, but I don't think it's the same thing. Oh, so it was probably like an, either an older version of that or just one of his old prototype songs. Yeah. And the pop-minded head of Atlantic, 
Almet Erdogan, which we mentioned in the Clovers episode. You know, remember the guy who spelled his name backwards when he helped him write the song? Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he found Screaming Jay's vocals too raw and tried to get Hawkins to sing smoothly, like Fats Domino. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think that's going to happen, knowing Screaming Jay. Yeah, an argument ensued, and Hawkins nearly ended his career by trying to strike Erdogan. <laughs> oh, well, that was quick. <laughs> you should sing more normal. Shut up! <laughs> well, I imagine the words were a little harsher than that. Yeah, like, yeah, probably. Like, you probably said something like, you fucking suck as a singer, that's fucking bullshit, blah, 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 And then Screaming Jay Hawkins was like, I just spent 18 months in a Saigon POW camp. <laughs> fuck you, I'm the middleweight champion of Alaska. <laughs> you, can't, you can't fuck with 1949. me. 1949. <laughs> it would have to suck to get punched by him, though. Yeah, no, it's not a good thing. When, it, when somebody's the middleweight champion of boxing, or just to anything champion of boxing don't let them punch you in the face they know how to punch yeah try not to piss them off yeah, do not make them mad enough to punch you in the face unless you like know like uh jujitsu or something and you can get them in a stranglehold yeah or so that- yeah pretty much any sort of uh martial arts i guess i don't know this isn't the dude check out these comparative martial arts techniques oh yeah. it's not oh, we damn. haven't made um, that joke in a while well i'm done this episode then because i got nothing else oh that's what your notes are about yep yep i was just gonna go off into jujitsu <laughs> and so of course screaming jay hawkins you know kind of had to leave tiny crimes's band after that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, I mean, we're we're pretty done with you now i guess when you fight the producer on our big break you know <laughs> and he would kind of begin drifting be- between bands would even spend time in Fats Domino's band, but he would be dismissed when he attempted to perform in a leopard skin suit. <laughs> <laughs> now, my first thought was, it's not even leopard spandex. What's the big deal? Yeah, I know, exactly. I, but I guess, you know, in that day, they had an image to uphold, right? Ugh. Could you imagine Fats Domino looking at him like, you're fired. <laughs> that suit is ridiculous. Go home and don't come back. I can't believe he didn't try and punch him after yeah, that. <laughs> I was 18 months. In the- <laughs> I let off a grenade in a guy's mouth. Yeah, exactly. Did I mention I'm the middleweight champion? <laughs> you can't do this to me. Well, and after Fats Domino's band, he'd start just performing solo gigs at Smalls Paradise in New York City's Harlem. And it was at Smalls and later at clubs in Atlantic City in New Jersey that Jalazy J. Hawkins transformed himself into Screaming J. Hawkins. Oh, shit. Supposedly some fan yelled out at him, Scream, baby, scream. And he's like, hey, that's my new name. That's my new name. Yep, I'm Screaming J now. In 1955, he'll get a break. He signs with OK Records. You know, the one spelled O-K-E-H? Yeah. And OK producer Arnold Maxim wanted Hawkins to record I Put a Spell on You, a song that Hawkins had written the previous year and had already recorded for the Grand label. Now, the earlier version of the song was kind of subdued, and Maxim wanted it wild. The way that we get it now. The way that we know it now, yes. And to quote Screaming Jay Hawkins on this recording session, he said, Maxim got everybody drunk. And we came out with this weird version. I don't even remember making the record. Before I was just a normal blues singer, I was Jay Hawkins. It all sort of just fell into place. I found out I could do more destroying a song and screaming it to death. 
<laughs> Hell yeah. So he just got everybody. He just got the Screaming Jade hammered. And he's just like, fucking yell, scream. And that's the version that we get today, huh? Yeah. Oh, my and God. And supposedly so he doesn't good. even remember singing it. That is fucking amazing. I mean, that's another one of those classic, like, you know, uh, what is the uh, In the Garden of Eden or In, in a God of Eden? Oh, yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> and so the flip side, too, I put a spell on you was Little Demon, and they were both recorded on September 12, 1956. You know, of course, with Hawkins and a combo that included tenor saxophonist Sam the Man Taylor. <laughs> Sam the Man. Sam the Man. And drummer Panama Francis. Neither Damn, who I've heard of, but... Those are cool I, names. I had to mention... Yeah, exactly. That's why I mentioned them. Yeah, this is Screaming Jay with Sam the Man and Pan Panama Francis. It's kind of like a tongue twister, <laughs> but it still sounds cool. And so that brings me to my first do check out this song. They're both fucking bangers. And yeah, it's both songs. I put a spell on you and Little Demon. And if you've only ever heard the CCR version of I put a spell on you. Yeah, you're missing listen, out. Yeah, listen to this fucking song. You're going to like, it's going to blow your mind. It's better. Just abjectly better. And I mean, I, it's not that I'm trying to say that the CCR version is bad. It's just this version is the way this song was meant to be performed. And, you know, one thing I thought was pretty cool is I always assumed that he had help writing the song, you know, because a lot of singers in this era always had, like, co-writers and yeah. stuff. He wrote this song. That's awesome. And, that yeah, that just... Probably one of the most famous songs ever. Yeah, yeah, it's up there. That's for sure. I would say, like, at least for American culture, it's uh, it's up there in the top maybe 100, if not 250, 200, somewhere in that area. I mean, this has to be one of the most covered songs of all time. It just has to be. Well, if not, if nothing else, just because of the the iconic parts of our iconic movies it's in and things like that, like Hocus Pocus. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I just it's a well-known song and it transcends like certain uh, generational barriers, I think. And so when I put a spell on you was first released, it was banned. <laughs> what is it? Witchcraft. I got a quote from Screaming Jay Hawkins. He said they said it was cannibalistic that it sounded like a man eating somebody. <laughs> that sounds like, I don't know, like a better reason to listen to it. I know, it. right? Like, <laughs> that doesn't make me like, oh no, we shouldn't listen to it. Me like, put it on, let's let's jam it out again. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, he's doing what? Yeah, it sounds awesome. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, it sounds cannibalistic. I can actually understand that like point of view, not like in a negative way. Like I could get that I can get that like tonal sensation off it, you know what I mean? Like Well, well right. And you gotta think of the times though too, because there was never a song like this before. Yeah, and it's it, it, the organ in the back kind of sounds like almost like a Phantom of the Opera kind of <laughs> evil sort of bam. Bump, like I don't know. I guess it does make a lot of sense. Bump, 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 and bump. the bass. Yeah, and the and the saxophone oh, in yeah. there. Yeah, it's it's just so fucking good. Well, and so OK would actually end up editing the offensive portions of the song, and it would become a hit. Now this w makes me wonder the offensive what? portions. Yeah. Wait, is there? <laughs> I want an unedited version of the song. That's what I want, dude. I looked for like an hour for this. I could not find an unedited. He probably version. just left them out forever. I bet you I, he was talking about eating people and you stuff. You know what I did find is the original version of this song, which is way like you know it's way different. It's not like way different, but 
It's definitely subdued. Huh. And that's... it's all done on piano. Hmm. Yeah. Either way, like, I would love to hear the uh, the full-on Screaming Jay version. Now. I know. there's It's got to be out there somewhere, right? Yeah, where he talks about all the cannibalism, because clearly I think if they had to cut stuff out, there probably was some, like... Well, it's probably because he went way over the top with his noises he likes to do, where he's like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah, a lot of that time does sounds like he's scarfing down human meat, I guess. <laughs> But Hawkins exploited the cannibal controversy anyway. Hell yeah. That is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Mouthful of human meat. (laughs) And I got a quote from him. He said, I stuck the bone up my nose, put on on white shoe polish, combed my hair straight up, and got naked with a piece of cloth around my loins, had a spear and shield. So what's wrong with acting like a wild warrior? The NAACP and CORE which apparently stands for Congress of Racial Equality, didn't know that, didn't like it and said I was making fun of black people. I said, I'm making a living. I'm not breaking the law. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So you just pretty much, when they told him he sounded like a, a cannibal, he dressed up like a... Like, like a wild man. Like a car- yeah, cartoonish wild man warrior. Yeah, what like, the fuck? Like a voodoo, like <laughs> wild beast warrior thing. Oh, uh, it's too early for all that screaming, Jay. You were you were ahead of your time, bro. <laughs> he was the first. He was the he was the first the one to do this. Guy, dude. It, like, like like without him, would there be Alice Cooper or White Zombie or Kiss? Yeah, or any of those theatrical big bands. Like right, I, yeah. Marilyn Manson comes to mind too. Like these giant <laughs> or even shows. Tom Waits, because I mean, think about well, yeah. You know, Tom Waits is. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a lot of inspiration drawn directly from Screaming Jay by Tom Waits. Yeah, we haven't brought up Tom Waits in a while either. Yeah, so I know. Good for him to make an appearance. Yeah. Hey, Tom. What's up, bro? <laughs> in 1956, Hawkins began appearing in New York disc jockey Alan Freed's legendary package shows. Freed liked Hawkins and persuaded him to begin making his entrance in a coffin. <laughs> According to Nowhere to Run, the book I mentioned earlier... Hawkins was at first reluctant to get into the coffin, but after Freed offered him $2,000 for the stunt, he agreed to make it part of his act. Holy shit, just get, don't give me $2,000 if you have your band bring you out in a coffin. Yeah, <laughs> and supposedly, I didn't put this in my notes, but I did read it. Supposedly, the like funeral association or coffin, coffin makers association or whatever, like, sued him because he uh to get him to stop appearing in a coffin because they said he was making fun of the dead <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the funeral association will get you do you're not ma- me you're making fun of the dead shame on you uh you showed a coffin <laughs> you came out of one no oh my fuck. i mean wasn't there a night of the living dead out or something yeah yet? there was already stuff that was probably a little bit worse than this i assume he's a lot inspired by those early hollow or uh early like horror films as well well and so even though you know his stage antics were like just crazy and unseen at the time it didn't come without some sort of liability mike bohm of the los angeles times reported that hawkins quote fell into a pre-show ritual of imbibing while listening to favorite records to psych himself up for the transformation into screaming jay (laughs) and to quote screaming jay hawkins I figured I couldn't sing that song unless I was drunk. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense with just how flamboyant he gets on stage with well, like the frantic screaming and stuff like that. 
Well, right, and they had to get him drunk for him to do the initial performance. So maybe, or even to get in the coffin, like yeah. So maybe you know it was something like, oh, I can't do this without alcohol because I had to do, uh, I had to drink a bunch of alcohol to get into the state of mind. Yeah, for me to do this the first time, I had to do it drunk. So to, I had, I kind of have to continue the theme. That would suck. And he would go on to record like a bunch of, I guess you could call them bizarre singles for OK, Person to Person, Frenzy, Alligator Wine, which was like the first of many songs that he would do of like humorously revolting recipe songs where he's like, put a little bit of that, a little bit of this, you get Alligator Wine. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 the, 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 his kind of recipe songs kind of were very formulaic. Yeah, they, but it was something that he kind of did. It yeah, was his but, thing. You know, I mean, it was disgusting a lot of the times and just over the top. And so, you know, that helped with his whole stage performance, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. And that brings me to my next dude. Check out the song. We got Person to Person and Frenzy, which is my legitimate 100% favorite Screaming Jay Hawkins song. Yeah, Frenzy is just solid. It's a It's a really good just instrumental piece. And we've talked about Psychability before, and if anybody even knows what Psychability is, this is basically the song that started Psychability like 20-plus years before it even started. Yeah, we give it a lot of mentions, but honestly, this song here does just like smack the exact style and, you know, really is, I don't know, it feels like it could be the solid origin. Obviously, there's a million origins right, for it. Right, right. It's just, it's so perfect. And he would also record a kind of crazy album called at home with screaming jay hawkins and that's the one where you you saw the picture where he's like sitting down he's wearing those weird glasses oh yeah like that like what is that the the shiner hat or yeah, whatever I'm, I'm not sure it's like some sort of i don't know variant turban or i don't yeah. know I'm, I'm not really sure <laughs> and that picture kind of says it all because there's just like it's just a random album cover right and his songs go all over the place. Like he records a song like I love Paris and you made me love, which are like traditionals and they kind of are like crooner songs. They're, they're, they're not his style. No, but he apparently can do that style really well, which is really weird. It shows a lot of his vocal range in that album. a lot. And then, you know, he'd have the more rhythm and bluesy type stuff like Hong Kong and yellow coat and take me back to my boots and saddle. And, of course, he'd re-record I Put a Spell on You because it's kind of the, you know. Got to keep doing that song over yeah. and over again for the rest the, of your he, life. He's tied to that song. He was tied to that song for the rest of his yeah, life. Yeah, that, that'll happen if you get a really good, really early, like, hit and you just keep performing. You are that song, regardless of whatever you make for the rest of your time. Well, and that song really would be his only hit. So he was really playing off of his stage antics to make a living, you know. I mean, he had to keep people getting getting their asses in the seats to make some money. So you got to put on a stage show. So I think it all just came hand in hand, but that brings me to my next dude. Check out this song. I love Paris yellow coat and take me back to my boots and saddle. (laughs) 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 And this is all over the place. Like I mentioned with, I love Paris, you know, it's got that crooner style, like a Frank Sinatra style song. Yeah. It really does come across like a, like a very, very Frank Sinatra, like rat pack thing. And yellow coats kind of his, you know, rhythm and blues, like screaming Jay Hawkins, traditional type song. And then take me back to my boots and saddle is just, 
It's just a weird song. Yeah, there's nothing more to say. You should just listen to it. I, I really want, don't want to go any further into describing it because it's such a unique <laughs> song. And I would have put Hong Kong on there, but it got a little semi-racist. It <laughs> definitely did get racist. Yeah, that song was like halfway through. I was like, wait, what? Well, And so in Hong Kong, he just he's like, yeah, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, ching chong, ching ching chong. And yeah. it's like, no, like what this, the shit is going I mean, on? You have to remember it's the 50s, and so it's a different era. But I was just like, oh, oh that's not acceptable nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a little dated that did not age well. <laughs> That aged like milk rather than aging like wine, huh? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, you know, the 60s comes around and like all rockers from the 50s, you know, starts having a difficult time, you know, at least, you know, selling records and stuff like that. And he would actually start growing tired of his image in what he would call, and I quote, that weird voodoo black screaming Vincent Price image. <laughs> I really like that description of it, though. Yeah, that's a great description of it. And so in the early 1960s, he'd moved to Hawaii where he bought a bar and tried to settle down. But by the late 60s, he'd be touring again and playing up his boogeyman image, you know. Oh, his bar didn't do good? I think he got bored. Yeah, it makes sense. He's, if you're always performing ever since you're a young kid, you're not going to be happy with just like a nine to five after that. Well, right. Think about all the shit that he did as a kid. You know, he learned piano, saxophone, boxing, opera. I mean, you know, the guy had to stay busy and I just don't think running a bar was satisfying. Yeah, even in Hawaii. And of course, he was no longer with OK. He'd record for a series of independent labels, Red Top, Enrica, Chancellor, the latter label. He would end up recording with a female partner named Shoutin' Pat after their relocation from Miami to Hawaii. So Screaming Jay and Shoutin' Pat. Yep. But get this. She'd end up stabbing him after he married a much younger woman named Virginia ah! Sabello <laughs> Yeah, Sabellona, I think it is. Oh, <laughs> so, she would stab him for it. Great. And, I, and I'm pretty sure this is not his first wife. I just will get to it in the end, but... It was impossible to keep track of. He's got a lot, huh? It, it, yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> and so, you know, basically he was spending the time touring, you know. He'd play clubs in Hawaii, military bases in the Far East. But his biggest success came in Europe, where he would continue throughout his entire career to enjoy wide popularity. In fact, in England, he would even find, like, imitators of his style like Screaming Lord Such, Arthur Brown, and I don't know, a tiny little rock band called Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little band. I mean, and it took me a little while to figure that one out, but the original idea behind the band was to like scare audiences. And if you're going to do that, who better to figure it out from than Screaming Jay Hawkins, right? Yeah, he was the originator and also probably the still top proponent uh, of, I guess, cannibal rock or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Cannibal Swamp Rock, I don't know. <laughs> and so David Edward Such, also known as Third Earl of Harrow, or Screaming Lord Such, was an English musician and serial parliamentary candidate. <laughs> 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 he was the founder of the official Monster Raving Looney Party. <laughs> oh, yes, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and served as its leader from 1983 to 1999. <laughs> 
So he's just like the mo- raving monster party, and he's like a run for fucking parliament over and over again. Monster raving loony party. Oh my god! I wonder why I didn't get more support. I would have voted for him. Jesus. And so one of the widely known songs for Screaming Lord Such would be Jack the Ripper. Which is a great jam. Yeah, and actually, I didn't know that I already knew this song. Oh, yeah? You already knew it from somewhere? I've heard it before. I don't know, somewhere in my journeys. Somewhere uh, once upon a time. But I didn't know it was by Screaming Lord Such. It's such a weird name. Like, I'd never heard of it until you showed me that song. Yeah. And if you guys don't know, it's spelled S-U-T-C-H. Such. And then Arthur Wilton Brown, an English rocker and songwriter best known for his flamboyant and theatrical performances, eclectic and sometimes experimental work. He was known as having a particularly high-pitched voice and doing like banshee screams and stuff. And Arthur Brown would be best known for the song Fire. Which has a a ridiculously crazy music video, people. Oh, my God. Go (laughs) check it out on YouTube. It's so awesome. Oh, my God. It is just insane. Like, their costumes and the weird, like, overlay of the fire. It is. Yeah. Well, and it's a song that's actually pretty well known, too. At least for me, I heard it before. I'd never heard of Arthur Brown once again, but immediately like first note in i'm like oh i've heard this song yeah i know this one before no i've never heard this once again a song i had never heard before but once i really yeah once i started getting the jam in my head i was like i like this a lot i even sent it to some people almost right away (laughs) and so let's get to another dude check out the song what do you say do it so we got screaming lord such jack the ripper and arthur brown fire fire And so in 1966, Screamin' Jay would do two sessions for Decca Records, but nothing came of it. In the late 60s, he'd end up signing to Phillips Records, and he'd record his first album for them, What Is This, in 1969. And it contained just some fucking crazy songs, like his ultimate recipe song called Feast of the Mau Mau, spelled M-A-U. <laughs> so you're probably taking off of his him living in Hawaii, right? Yeah, that would make sense. And then his just fucking ridiculous song that he claimed was the real blues, Constipation Blues. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wondered why you didn't play that one for me, but now I understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's a fucking ridiculous song. Like, I guess he even would, like, in later years, sing the song on, like, the top of a toilet and stuff on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't want to come out of coffin anymore. Could you just bring me about on a big fat toilet? Like, that'd be cool. Well, you know, I think he just felt stuck in that genre and he had to, you know, come up with ridiculous shit just to stay relevant, I guess. Yeah, sometimes you really do got to do that. I mean, if you if you if you're feeling stagnant and you're already like predetermined to be weird, you have to really step it up and do extra weird or you have to just be less weird, and nobody likes it when a weird guy becomes less weird. Exactly. You know, he was really, he really was typecast as a musician. Yeah, exactly. And that it is kind of, it's a, it's a shame because like because he started off so weird, he would have never been able to go back and do like a, like a soft album or something and have it be good. He did throw in like flashes of what he really could do, though, too. Like, which is, I think, the best route for him. It allowed him to do what he wanted, but still be. At least it's successful. Yeah, at least as successful as possible. And so during the 1970s, 
He'd split his time between Hawaii, New York, where, you know, he'd play local clubs, and Europe, where he would really have his most success. You know, like, people loved him in Europe. Did he still have his bar in Hawaii at this point? It doesn't seem like it. If he did, it was something he didn't run, you know. Just yeah, to maybe make somebody him, else was running it yeah. or whatever. It really didn't say, you know, other than the fact that he bought a bar, and then that was the last mention of it. Yeah, he probably gave up on that then. He would also record two Tom Waits covers, Heart Attack and Vine and Whistling Past the Graveyard. Yep, and, I, and the funny thing is I love both of these musicians, and I always used to, like, snicker and think that Tom Waits covered Whistling Past the Graveyard from Screaming Jay. Yeah, and no, it it's me, a Tom Waits song. It took me years to find out that it was the opposite way around, and I felt really dumb after I, had like, spent all that time being like, oh. Because <laughs> actually I knew the Screaming Jay Hawkins version, and then I discovered the Tom Waits version. And then so I immediately had to look it up. I'm like, who wrote this fucking song? Of course, I did the same thing when the Ramones covered a Tom Waits song. Yep. So because <laughs> the Ramones do such a Ramones version of that song. <laughs> yeah. And I also knew Tom Waits was a big Ramones fan, just like he was a big Screaming Jay Hawkins fan. Yeah, exactly. So it, it becomes kind of a, a toss up which way those go. You yeah. really have to just do your research and get it over it or get it over with. And so this brings me to my next do check out the song, Whistling Past the Graveyard. Which is great. Just an amazing song. Yeah, honestly, I think he does it better than Tom Waits. Oh, absolutely. I, I'd say he does do it better than Tom Waits. And also, this is one of the songs besides uh, I Put a Spell on You, where I think he actually gets to do his full range without it being too crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah, he. I've, I've got a couple of examples of his full range, you know. Yeah. Well, at least one really good one coming up. Yeah. So... But it's just one of the rare examples. Like, he takes pieces of his repertoire and puts them in different songs. And every once in a while, you get to see what his full repertoire is in one song. And it's typically, I put a spell on you. But it, yeah. Whistling Past the Graveyard is a workable uh, replacement. And so, in 1974, he quit drinking. Holy shit. And he found out he could do, I put a spell on you, just as well sober as he could drunk. <laughs> and he would have been wrong the whole time. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you just got to take that step to realize you have it in you. You just got to channel the energy. Well, I mean, pretty much everybody has at one point or another been like, oh, I do something so much more when I'm drunk or high or whatever it may be. And 99% of the time, you don't do it better. You just enjoy doing it more. Right. Well, There's a difference. There is a relaxation that comes with drinking to, you know, feeling natural on stage. I will, I will give it that. It's just one of those things where I know a lot of sober musicians who are just like, no, you just got to get used to being yourself up there, and that's all that drinking does. Yeah, exactly. Drinking just takes away your inhibitions. So if you're just able to, you know, be more comfortable on stage, then you don't have the inhibitions, so you don't need to drink them away sort of situation. Yeah, exactly. And he also started collecting royalties from the many cover versions of his song. <laughs> like that one uh, movie that I guess uh, you guys probably all know from your childhood. <laughs> well, you know, artists like jazz singer Nina Simone, Creedence Clearwater, and the Animals would all yep. do a version of just I Put a Spell on You. Like, a lot of his other songs would get covered, too. That's the crazy part, you know. And he really? just started collecting uh, royalties from this, you know. In fact, just I put a spell on you. I found a list of 145 artists who had covered the song. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of artists I've never heard of who covered that song. Yeah, I would assume so. There's, that's a lot of fucking covers. What the fuck? Yeah, I just 
I just Googled a list of, I put a spell on you covers, 145. I counted them one by one. (laughs) (laughs) One by one. (laughs) And that's why I didn't put more artists in on who covered that song. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) Of course, the animals covered it, though. You know, the ultimate cover band. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The ultimate. We uh, This song's really good. Thank you for making it for us. And then you're like, what? I just put that on my... And then like, did you just put this out animal song on your album two years before we did? Well, that's pretty rude. <laughs> Bob Dylan who? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we, you know we have to throw his name in there somewhere or yeah, else. Yeah, we, we got we got to get it in. We brought Tom in. If we, if we mentioned Tom, we got to bring Bob and, you know, it just... <laughs> And whenever you mention the animals, you have got to mention Bob Dylan. Yeah, because that's just... He's the, the reason for their whole success. <laughs> well, either way, it's, it's a funny damn story regardless. Yeah, listen to that episode on... It's House of the Rising Sun. Yeah, on House of the Rising yeah. Sun. <laughs> I was like, how are you so confused on which album? Oh, I'm so spaced. Oh, man. <laughs> We've never done a, a Bob Dylan or an Animals album or uh, episode. So. No, yeah. He's, I was trying to remember the name of the song, and I blanked so hard. <laughs> In 1978, Hawkins would appear in American Hot Wax, the film biography of disc jockey Freed, the one who convinced him to get into the coffin. Oh, shit. Yeah, so, you know, now we're starting to get into movies. He'd even open up for the Rolling Stones at Madison Square Garden in 1980. That's fucking cool. Yeah, because you know the Rolling Stones love him because they rip off just about everybody who is creative. <laughs> yeah, they, they love stealing songs. They might as well hang out screaming, Jay, he's going to bring up a song they could steal. <laughs> We haven't ripped the Rolling Stones, but it felt appropriate it, there. It felt good. Yeah, I know, right? Got some, like... Uh, I've, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, just, like I've just taken a bath or something. Yeah. I feel clean. <laughs> and all you Rolling Stone fans out there, shut up. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and even more interest in Screaming Jay Hawkins would come about with the 1984 film Stranger Than Paradise, Jim Jarmusch used I Put a Spell on You as the centerpiece of that movie. And I guess it's like a cult hit. I don't know. I've never heard Stranger Than Paradise. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to check it out now. That seems cool. Well, and this would kind of start like a little thing between that director and Screaming Jay Hawkins. He put Screaming Jay Hawkins in a few of his movies. Ooh, that's cool. And so because he put this in his movie, though, he was able to start touring the United States regularly again. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. So he had his own little resurgence. Yeah. And like one time before a Boston show, he told the Boston Herald, I'm going to reach into the spectators chest, grab their hearts, fumble with their emotions and have them walking sideways and eating chop suey with chopsticks out of their ears while wearing a gas mask. What the fuck? <laughs> Dude wrote that down before he got the interview. Uh, this guy's flamboyant. I fucking love it, dude. Dude, it, it's like he doesn't really do anything bad, dude. He's just... He just you know, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. He's just one of those guys who's just like, this is who I am, and I'm going to sell my fucking shows. Yep, I'm screaming Jay. And so that director, Jarmusch, would put him in his 1990 film Mystery Train, where he was a sardonic night manager of a seedy Memphis hotel. Ooh. And apparently, you know, his performance was wonderfully subdued, quote unquote. 
Oh, I'm gonna have to go like uh, I'm gonna go IMDb Screaming Jay Hawkins, see if I can find some movies that he was in on Netflix or something. Well, it seems like this Jarmouche guy really liked him. So huh. I wonder if there are. Well, I'm gonna check. In 1991, a film called A Rage in Harlem featured a Hawkins performance of I Put a Spell on You, among other tunes, in one of its pivotal scenes. Oh, like Screaming Jay was actually performing in the movie? Yeah, that's what it, that's what it seems like. That's fucking cool. In Japan, apparently he was extremely popular there and even made commercials for Sony. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a Japanese commercial, you have made it, dude. <laughs> and I mean... That comes after he made the Hong, the Hong Kong song where he made all the ching chong. Yeah, that's fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, whatever you make good music, you get away with a little bit of racism, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, they probably would do it themselves. I don't fucking know. man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and this just kind of became his life. You know, he'd make a little cameo appearances here and there. And tour, you know, make what mo- he could off of the things he did. Yeah, he, you know, he's. This is probably his most like financially secure point in his life, honestly. But that's the way to do it, really. If you're going to be famous in the '60s, you know what I mean. Ride it out until the '90s, 2000s, whatever you can. Well, and he'd have kind of a duality with his whole onstage persona. You know, like he'd be frustrated at times. He'd say things like, "For once, I want to go out and sing Stardust or Feelings." And I want to sing it straight. I want to show that I can do it. Yeah. That makes sense, especially if he had a lot of, like, uh, opera background and stuff like that. Right. He loved opera. And you could actually tell in some of his songs, too. But then he'd go on to say things like, I don't want nothing else from this world. I stuck to the roots, and it carried me this far. I have no complaints. So, you know, there's kind of a duality there where sometimes he's probably just tired of donning the costume and getting on stage and doing it. But then he times where he becomes comfortable with it, you know, he he decides that he's okay with it, essentially. Well, at some point, even though he's typecast, you know, you got to work. Yeah. And if you want to work as a musician, sometimes you just got to do the old material. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you you have to play with successful. And if you have a song like I put a spell on you, it's going to be successful for a long time. So you should just ride on that. Right, and it's not like he would stop creating music either. Like, during the 90s, he would put out several albums, like Black Music for White People in 1991. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> oh, my God. He's, he's a little bit racist, I think. But, like, not like a not like a racially aggressive, like, he's just, like, openly, like, dumb racist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, it's not like he's offensive. It's not like he hates people based on their race. He just... I don't know. Yeah, me neither, man. <laughs> he'd released the album Stone Crazy in 1993. 1995, he'd release something funny going on. And he just continued to tour, you know, for the rest of his life. Like, you know, just try and write songs, you know, make a few commercials, appear in a movie, and tour. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, what year did Hocus Pocus come out? Because that's the uh, movie that I remember it from in my childhood. Like, I mean, I guess not childhood. I was probably in my teens at that point. But whatever, uh, it it was a it was a really great scene, and it, <laughs> I never realized for years that it was an actual song. Nineteen ninety three. Yeah. See, there you go, and that's the same year he's actually appearing in movies and stuff. It's kind of sad that that song went in the movie and he wasn't in it. That's actually a little sad. Yeah, but he probably got some money from it, so... Oh, I'm sure he definitely did, because that's probably one of the better-selling Halloween movies of all time, so... 
That's one movie I forgot to watch for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's every once in a while, one of my girlfriends will decide that we have to watch it. So, <laughs> actually, I watched some good ones this year. I'll talk to you about it off air, though. Oh yeah, that's uh, there we go. And so on February twelfth, two thousand, Hawkins would die after an emergency surgery from an aneurysm. In I'm totally gonna screw this up. Nouvelle sur Seine in France. Somewhere near Paris. And and he was seventy years old. That's sad. But it makes sense. At least he like died in Paris. That's I cool. Mean, with having a drinking problem and all that kind of stuff, you know, I mean seventy is a good age. Yeah, seventy so is a damn good age for like a heavy drinker, you know. So here's the reason why I didn't want to get into his marriages oh, or God. even his relationships. Oh God. He was married six times. Yeah. And he would father approximately 57 children. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Did you say 57? 57. 57. Oh, my God. He's he's Seaman J. Hawkins. (laughs) Seaman J. Hawkins. (laughs) (laughs) sorry for the little bit of a delay there guys we were joking we were laughing so hard at seaman j hawkins that he you know he unplugged the board with his feet my bad (laughs) motherfucker 57 (laughs) children yeah holy shit so you know that's not with six wives there's no way he was just slinging that dick everywhere he went (laughs) He's like, hey, baby, want to go back to my coffin? (laughs) Holy shit, dude. That's so fucked up, man. That's too many kids, bro. You're not a a spider, man. (laughs) No wonder he kept working throughout his entire (laughs) life. (laughs) A lot of child support. Oh, my God. You know he didn't pay all that. There's no way. There's no way that he could have ever made enough money to pay for 57 kids. What the fuck, dude? (laughs) I'm trying to even think, like, how many kids a year is that through your whole career? That's multiple kids a year through his whole career. Yeah, he lived to be 70. Well, let's do the math on this now. What was his first album? So, he was born in 1929, and I put a spell on you and came out in 1955. And he died in 2000? And he died in 2000. So, that's 45 years. That's more than a kid a year. (laughs) Yeah, that that's why I saved that for the end. What the fuck? He is averaging more than one child a year. There is no way that even with, with like unless he had those six women consistently pregnant <laughs> through the entire time that that was just six women. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> How many screaming Jay Hawkins juniors do you think there are out there? <laughs> Oh my god, dude! I can't even hang with that. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> Screaming Jay, you, you fantastic, magnificent bastard! <laughs> I, <laughs> Stephen Jay Hawkins is so good. <laughs> oh my god! I think we have to right now deify Screaming Jay Hawkins on this show. He is now up there. He's going to be slashing people with lead belly, and he's going to be, you know. 
He's going to be popping in every episode with Bob Dylan. I, I think just... we have to give a Screaming Jay Hawkins award out for people who, who have a lot of kids. Yeah, each season, the biggest whore gets a Screaming Jay Hawkins episode award. <laughs> oh, this is fucking ridiculous, right? I can't even, man. And that's approximate, so he might have more or less out there, but that's an approximate number. Oh, shit. And so this seems like a good time to put in my last dude check out this song. Yeah, is it 57 <laughs> children? I don't know which one's mine. <laughs> 57 out of 100 is his first song. Yep. <laughs> Shooting 57 rounds. <laughs> oh, God. The first song on this is Monkberry Moon Delight, which I was a little disappointed to find out it's actually a Paul McCartney cover. Yeah. But I put it on anyway because it he does a pretty damn good job of it, honestly. Right. Yeah, he probably does it better than Paul McCartney. Yeah, he definitely does. I, I, I don't know if you guys can hear it through the sound, but making that Paul McCartney face. Yeah, Pat's pretty disgusted right now. So I'm trying to hold back a puke. It's Sorry. like I just ate something sour and salty and I found a hair on it. And so the next song is Voodoo, which, you know, just it's a wonderfully like it's silly tune. Yeah, it's it's great. It's a voodoo <laughs> song, dude. Don't even worry about yeah, it. Yeah, well, it, it's about going back to this chick's apartment and she performs voodoo on him or something. <laughs> it's probably one of the 57 kids. The or, origin story. That's where one of them came from. Yeah, exactly. And then, then, then there was the voodoo lady. <laughs> Maybe that's what most of his songs are about. <laughs> she put a spell on me. <laughs> now I got 57 kids. First came, uh, first uh, first kid came about because he put a spell on her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeez. And then the last song I got, which is honestly probably the most soulful thing I've ever heard from him, is Portrait of a Man. It, it's great. It is actually like, it's it's touching. You can tell that he feels the feelings during the song. Yeah, and you can really, really, truly hear his opera influence in this one. Yeah, he, he busts his full range out. And he has that, like, super, like, opera-type crescendo ending, you know, where it starts low, and he's just like, Bleh! Yeah, if you can't tell, we are all, uh, me and Ian, we are getting ready for our own opera. It's called Dude, Check Out This Opera. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to a theater near you. Coming to no theaters near anybody. <laughs> I wouldn't even put it on my own podcast. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. And as fun as this episode has been, I think it's time for our last thoughts. Yeah, we might as well. Uh, I guess I'll go first. You sure? Yeah. All right. Yeah, dude, don't have 57 kids. I that's, was going to say, that's my, my, last first, thought. my last thought is put a condom on that <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, dude, there's a coefficient of how many kids you can have, and that is equal to how many you can reasonably pay for and also give love and attention. You didn't just, This motherfucker did not raise 57 kids. <laughs> no way. There's not a fucking chance in the world. I don't even give a shit. You're a great musician, and I will love you forever, and we We've deified you as, I don't know, I, I think, like, you know how there's, like, maternity gods, like, uh, 
what are they called? Like, oh, uh, like like goddesses? Yeah, like, 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 like fertility uh, goddesses? Yeah, fertility goddesses. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, Stream and Jay Hawkins is now... Our fertility ch- god? Yeah, our fertility <laughs> god. <laughs> All worship holy fertility god. Scream and Jay Hawkins, we're not worthy. <laughs> so if you guys are having trouble, uh, you know, maybe having kids at home, uh, put Scream and Jay Hawkins, I put a spell on you, really loud on, on repeat. Just get a good, like, Spotify Screaming Jay Hawkins list. In fact, we'll put one up for you if you really want us to. Yeah, exactly. Just check out our Spotify and put the, repeat, or the playlist on repeat. <laughs> Seriously, I don't even, I can't handle. I'm so glad you saved that to the end. <laughs> you thought I was going to put that in the middle somewhere? Hell no. Sweet God. <laughs> I should have said. Now that I'm thinking back about it, I just said, and he was survived by his 57 children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, could you imagine like trying to split those rights now? (laughs) I got one fifty-seventh of my dad's musical career. I I own one fifty-seventh of his image. I put one fifty-seventh of a spell on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but I, I guess right now for the end of my last thoughts, I'm just gonna throw a little uh, prophylactic uh, advertisement <laughs> here. Wrap sure. it so you don't snap it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, wrap that shit up. <laughs> Okay, Ian, it's your turn. I don't even fucking <laughs> I don't know how to how to follow that one. Holy shit. Oh man, like okay. <laughs> this episode really has gone off the rails, but you know what? You re- guys really need to check out Screaming Jay Hawkins cuz honestly without him like we mentioned before, there's no kiss. There's no Alice Cooper. There's no White Zombie. There's no Marilyn Manson. He was the one who started these crazy stage shows. Yep, and it's it's worth it's worth showing love to him, regardless of his ability to reproduce. Yeah, he. <laughs> <laughs> and you start doing all these crazy antics on stage, you'll have fifty-seven children. Yeah, what could no, go exactly. wrong? <laughs> so let this be a lesson for anybody who doesn't feel like they get enough, uh, like you know, action with the other genders. Uh, go ahead and just get in a coffin. And put a spell on people. Exactly. That's I mean, all you got to do. Yeah, it's it's that easy. Just write songs that are so legendary that people will remember them for 70 years and put them in songs and movies and also be a movie star and be super awesome. And be good at everything you do. Oh, yeah. oh don't forget to also uh, teach yourself piano as a toddler. I think that's really the step <laughs> step one. Step one, teach yourself <laughs> piano as a toddler. Yeah, step, step one if you want to be... Uh, this successful 57 kids successful <laughs> step two at age 14 start getting your brains bashed in while beating the shit out of other people yeah exactly get a, get a, <laughs> make sure you really rough your brain up and then also just maybe just, that's why he lied about his military service he couldn't remember what happened he was boxing at the time so and i mean let's be honest if 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 you had a story like i was i was in a saigon prison for 18 months you get a whole bunch of tail off that too that's why he kept lying <laughs> fucking war hero man you yeah, fucking war hero i wrote <laughs> I put a spell on you. I don't even give a fuck. 
<laughs> he is he, legendary, ladies and gentlemen. Motherfucking legendary. You know how you can be legendary, though? How can I be legendary? You can uh, give us five stars on stupid stuff on social medias and tell your friends that you like this and also have your friends listen to this podcast. That does sound like a great way to have 57 children. It's it, Honestly, it's <laughs> statistically proven that if you uh, if you follow our podcast on social medias and give us five stars... That Your you, sperm does swim faster. And you're actually more likely to have enough sex to have 57 children by the time you die at the age of 70. So, I mean, that's scientific data that I created myself, and I honestly can't represent in any sort of scientific fashion, but I'm going to say it's probably true. Hey, I got a girlfriend shortly after I release this podcast, yeah. so it's working for me. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, listen to Ian right here. We started this podcast, and he immediately started getting laid. So give us some stars, ladies and gentlemen. We love you. Have a good night.